Hey everyone, welcome once again to another edition of Huddle Up with Howard. I'm Mike Claiborne, along with Howard Richards. And Howard, a lot of things to talk about today when it comes to football. Uh, let's start on the on the local front with University of Missouri. Uh, an off week, um, they had a chance to get themselves retooled. And the off week came, hopefully at the right time. You're playing, you're hosting Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt's given Mizzou some problems in the past. So what do you think the biggest changes you're looking to see compared to the last game Mizzou played? The changes that I hope to see are that Missouri has certainly addressed, you know, all the issues that they've had in the first part of the season, you know, with uh, excessive penalties, uh, undisciplined penalties, if you will, uh, giving up too many uh, tackles for loss, uh, drop passes, all the things that contribute to your record being two and four. Um, if you look back at Missouri's last three games, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, they lost those games by a combined total of 14 points. Um, and, and it's really nothing that those other teams did, especially the number one team in the nation at the time, the Georgia Bulldogs. It was all about Missouri. You know, again, just making mistakes at critical moments um, that they could not overcome. When you're playing good teams, um, they find a way to win. And Missouri, you know, wasn't a good team during those those uh, those particular games. Um, and I, I look at the record uh, at two and four, and I honestly believe that they're a far better team than a two and four team. But again, it, it comes down to uh, mental mistakes. Uh, and just not learning how to finish. So in a, in a bye week, when you have a week to address fundamentals, you have a, a, a week to look at, you know, the mistakes that you typically don't get a chance to do during a normal uh, game week. Uh, my hope is that, uh, first of all, guys got time off, you know, for mental health, if you will. You kind of walk away from a game. Uh, you, you step away from football, period. You come back refreshed, re-energized. Uh, if you've been banged up, you've gotten the treatment that you need, uh, and you come back healthy, healthier, I should say, because no one's really healthy. Uh, in the midpoint of the season, everyone's got it's nicked up, and they've got aches and pains. But certainly you hope that they've healed enough, and they're in a mental state where they've now got a focus of, of a clearer picture of where they are in order to qualify for a bowl game. Certainly that's that's – just about everyone's goal is to at least play in a postseason game. You know you've got to win four games to do that. It's a much clearer picture than when you start your season. Uh, but it starts with the first game. you got to go 1-0 and in order to go 4-2. Um, so that's where this team is. I hope that they have been able to um, sort of gather itself uh, collectively, understanding where that goal is, and be able to be unified once they get on the field every Saturday. Couple of surprises with Missouri in the first portion of the season. Uh, for me, I'm surprised the defense has played well. Uh, they've done a really nice job. Uh, probably been on the field a little too long, but I, I can't overlook their their improvement considering what we've seen in the past. The other surprise is how inept the offense is. Uh, I thought that this team would be better, uh, not just saying because they had Luther Burton and he's been dealing with an injury, but the whole offense as a whole just doesn't have personality. Uh, the offensive line has had some problems. Uh, the quarterback situation is not of SEC caliber. And the running game uh, has been in and out. 
But I guess the one guy who stood out more than anyone else because he's been given a chance is Dominic Lovett. He has. And so many people have pointed to quarterback Brady Cook as being the issue. And, you know, two weeks ago, I think it was, Dominic Lovett was leading the SEC in receptions and yards. Um, if, if you're a quarterback with problem, you don't have a receiver that's leading the league, you know, through four games. Um, so, you know, Brady certainly is not playing at the level uh, where they want him to be, but it's all not on Brady Cook either. Receivers have to run the proper routes. <clears throat> the quarterback has to get enough time to find those receivers downtown, uh, downfield. Um, and but but looking at the quarterback position, sometimes the ball has to come out faster, you know, a, a tenth of a second, a quarter of a second, whatever the case may be. He's got to be able to see the field a little bit better. Uh, he's got to find those open receivers. You can't stare down and lock in on one particular receiver because the defense, they're looking oftentimes they're looking at where the quarterback's eyes are. And once they see him looking at one particular guy after a few plays, then they know that he's not, you know, wherever he looks, he's going to throw that ball. You give a, a defender a chance to jump a route, jump coverage, um, then he's throwing an interception. Uh, so he's got to be able to understand how to look off receivers um, a little bit more and find it a quicker outlet or see a guy open downfield much more quickly. Trust his eyes, trust his arm, because he's got the arm to get it there. Um, again, accuracy comes from practice, um, just doing it. And that's working with your receivers, uh, whenever free time you have outside of, uh, meetings and, and team periods, you know, whether it's a 25 reps, 50 or 100 before and after practice, those are the things that you must do. You know, um, <clears throat> when you look at the, the SEC, it, it's such a dominating conference and we had one of the best games ever. Uh, between Alabama and Tennessee this past weekend. It was a very good game, but it was poorly officiated. Uh, there were just so many things that were wrong with, with how the officials were working on both sides. And I'm, you know, I, well, people know me as an Alabama fan, but man, I, I got to tell you, Tennessee's got to be lodging a complaint too. From where you sit, how's the officiating been this year from where you sit? You know, there are always questionable uh, calls in particular games. And I have always advocated for having full-time officials. Um, and I say that because when a guy does something, you know, for six other days during the week, his focus isn't necessarily, you know, on the job that he's doing on Saturday. He's got other distractions out there. Um, and you don't typically see the types of plays that, um, have been so controversial. You don't see them enough to be able to make a, a quicker decision on a particular call. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever get there. Uh, some guys are better at it than than others, um, but I, it would be something that would be, uh, whether at the, the college level or in the pro level, be something that I, I think uh, it, it would not be a bad thing to, to see with full-time officials. Here's where I think you're going to have a problem. First of all, all of these officials we, we see in the NFL, certainly in college, have very well-paying jobs where they can get away for the weekend. So you'd have to ask them to give up that career, that job, and most of them wouldn't because with that job comes a pension and other things of power that they wouldn't receive by being an official. 
throw in the fact that we're already short good referees as it is and good officials, that will reduce the pool even more for the ones who wouldn't want to go full-time. And thirdly, to have a full-time official, what would he do during the course of the week? Would he be working practices? Would he be watching film? Would he be training with other officials? I mean, uh, the, the curriculum would have to be one that would certainly warn him getting it, getting it right on Saturday and or Sunday with more efficiency. That's exactly what I would have in mind. And there's a way to do it. I just don't know. Regardless of my desire and how effective I think it would be, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, but you can certainly try. Um, and, and again, not taking anything away from the officials that are really good. And there are some really good ones out there that are very consistent. Uh, we know it's a game where human uh, error is a big factor all the time. That's why you have instant replay. Um, but but there's always room for improvement, whether you, you increase um, the, the time for reviewing plays, and I think that that's a possibility to do so also. Uh, also. Uh, but there's got to be a way to figure out, you know, when you've got officials that are sitting in the league office that are there to assist those officials on the field, they shouldn't be afraid to overrule Um those officials on the field, you know, it's not that you're making guys look bad. You're trying to make the calls right on the field. Um, and that's, that's what I think they've just got to be more decisive uh, when you're making those calls from the office. And that's you the know, way I think that you're going to improve the game. I, I agree with you. And, and I see it in other sports and I'll give you a good example in baseball, the replay official, replay if, it's official. Crew, if it's a crew chief, that, that's a bang, bang call. And they go to New York. 99.9% of the time, the crew chief, they're going to rule in favor of the crew chief. Seldom does he get it wrong. And I think that when you have the same situation, and I'll take one step further in football. How many times have you seen this new network or rules official in the booth and there's a play that they, they blatantly kicked and that rules official will come in and give you some half-ass excuse on why, no, no, you know, and common sense would tell you that the root that he kicked it and that's okay. I get it, but they cut, they take care of their own to the point where they've lost credibility in my, my regard. And I thought Saturday's game with UT when they were just knocking a poo out of Bryce young and there were uh, multiple targeting opportunities for them to throw flags on. And they didn't just told me that, you know what, they want to take care of their own. So where do you find a legitimate objective group of people that have football officiating experience to come in and be the true guardian of making sure these rules are going to be run through the right way. And if there is a replay, we're going to get it right. Well, I think that's when you bring in the commissioner and he sits down with the head of officials and say, you know, we saw what happened in Tennessee, Alabama. We can never afford to have such controversy on such an important game ever again. We've got to do the right thing, uh, even if it means making an official on the field look bad. Because guess what? Next week, no one's going to remember that official's name for the most part. They're not going to remember that he blew a call against Alabama or he had a call overruled uh, in, in favor of Tennessee. No one's going to remember that. What they will remember is that the call was made whole, was made proper, uh, on the field, but whether it was, you know, in New York, in Birmingham or, or whoever the, the, the deciding factor is, that's what fans will remember. And that's what they should remember. 
You know what I would do? I, I'd kind of relegate guys. If you if you kick the call, if your crew was bad against Alabama, Tennessee, then guess what? Next week, you might have maybe you got Missouri Vanderbilt. You 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 go down to the lower level and you hone your skill. And the, and, the, and the group who had the best week, they get the next good game. I, I think I'd have that. I'd, I'd challenge these guys. And, and you know what? They'd obviously know if they were horseshit. I get it. But I think if you relegate them and put them in a lower game environment where they're not going to be the, the, the talk of the town and let them hone their skill and work their way back, I think that's something I would certainly consider because that's, to me, better than – the verbal reprimand where the conference comes out and says, well, yeah, they kick some calls and, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to fight them. You're going to suspend them. You're already short good referees and, and line judges and back judges. So to take them off the field completely doesn't serve the purpose because you want these games to be reasonably officiated by reasonably good people. Well, I agree with you, <clears throat> but at the very least, whether you kick them down to a, a lower level game or, or games, if you will, uh, they should all be reviewing those calls because mm -hmm. guess what? They're going to see them again, yes. the same types of calls. Um, but you've got to be able to know what to look for. What's pass interference? What's a catchable ball? What's targeting? You know, really look at these things very closely. Uh, be decisive, uh, but be as fair as possible, regardless of, you know, if you're standing on the Tennessee sideline or the Alabama sideline, you got to make the right call to the extent that you can. Um, I have been had the, the good fortune to sit, um, Mike Kelly and I did, in the Birmingham office where all these officiating calls were made. Um, and I will tell you, uh, they threw some calls at us that were very controversial, uh, that we really had to go, oh, now you can see why officials have it so difficult. Um, but... It, it, that's what they're there for. That's yeah. why they're paid. It's it's not us sitting in the booth to make those decisions. It's them. Um, but you can see why those calls are difficult to make. However, when you got someone there that's there to either overrule, support, whatever the case may be, they've got to be in those positions to make it right. That's that's the point that I want to see. If you're there, do the right thing. Make the you game. Know, you know, make the right call. Help these. You guys know, it's, it's funny. Uh, this is about four years ago. We go to New York and we go to the replay center for Major League Baseball. And they spent like $45 million on this whole operation. And they put us in the chair and they dial up a play. And, you know, you have to kind of figure out, all right, I've got 30 seconds or whatever to make this call. And the angles that they have and how they can superimpose things is just incredible what they can do digitally. Mm -hmm. And so now you got to make the call. And I get it. And, and I don't want to berate officials because I can't do it, but I respect it because it's hard. Yes, I think is. officiating, you pick the sport and I'm going to tell you, it's a whole lot harder than what it used to be. So, but I think we want to give them as many tools as possible to be more consistent. And the tools can consist of video. It can consist of working practices. It mm -hmm. can be consist of knowing the rules. It can consist of being in position, have position drills. Uh, there's a lot of things that we would use in, in, the, in the term tools that these people could have to be better. Uh, but, you know, I, I just think this is too much on the line. Now, an official can say to me, well, hell, you guys couldn't convert a third down for the last five to five possessions. So whose fault is that? 
So, I mean, it, it goes both ways. Like in baseball, you know, a guy can chirp about one pitch, but how can you chirp about a pitch when you 0 for 5? You know, so it, it, it goes both ways. But I think what we have to do, because we put the officials at a higher standard than anybody else, put a higher standard than the player, higher standard than the coaches. They are the ruler of, of the, they, they pass on the final ruling. And what they say goes, and we feel like they should be fair and impartial with the most power because they have the most credibility to get it right. So that's where we're at. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll touch on this a little bit more. We'll stay on college football for a bit. We'll come back after this. St. Louis Acura has an unbeatable selection of new cars arriving daily, like the all-new 2023 Acura Integra. We also have a great selection of over 200 pre-owned and factory precision courtesy vehicles with finance rates as low as 1.9% for 36 months with approved credit. And we've added Saturday service hours to our newly renovated service facility. Don't forget, we'll buy your vehicle here at our dealership or from the convenience of your home. St. Louis Acura, better than ever for you. Howard Richards is with us. We call it Huddle Up with Howard. We're talking a little college football. We got off into a little discussion with regard to officiating in college football. All right, while we stay on the subject of college football, um, Deion Sanders has kind of taken the college football world by storm. Uh, he's featured in a very good piece in 60 Minutes uh, this past weekend. And when you think about some of the coaching openings and you think about what Deion Sanders has meant to uh, Jackson State in the SWAC and black college football, um, give me your thoughts on where we're headed with this. Because, A, I'm glad he's here. B, in knowing him a little bit and knowing the stories about him, right man at the right time as far as I'm concerned. He has done a, a number at Jackson State. Listen, he, he's had a strong presence uh, and has brought, I think, more relevant, certainly to the Jackson State program, but also back to uh, – he's brought the spotlight back to HBCUs. And I say that because, you know, there have been a number of players that have been overlooked by the, you know, traditional draft Knicks uh, and clubs. And, um, you know, they don't always get it right. And, you know, let's just name one, uh, one that I played with at Dallas, Everson Walls. We came in as rookies together, played at Grambling, undrafted rookie, made the league minimum of $25,000 for, his, I think, his first two years, lived at home with his mother. <laughs> I mean, how many how many guys do that? And these guys, he leads the interception in, uh, in, leads the league in interceptions his rookie season, doesn't even start every game. And he's living at home. I mean, is that not the, you know, just the great American story? Um, but it, it just shows that you know, they don't always get it right. Those measurables, there are always guys that are outside those measurables. Um, and I always tell people, if you're good enough, someone will find you. And I, I think mm-hmm. what Deion Sanders has done, he's he's bringing that light into the realm of, of um, historically black colleges and universities. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because more, more young men are getting, will get the exposure and the opportunity to play. Uh, about Dion and, and moving on to the, the next level, uh, group of five or power five, uh, I think he would make it very interesting for the college football landscape if he gets that opportunity. Um, does he want that opportunity? Don't know. 
Uh, I'm sure that he will have some opportunities uh, to coach. How seriously he takes those those opportunities, how seriously any potential um, institutions take him uh, will be interesting also. Listen, who knows the game better than Dion? He's, he's a multi-sport athlete. He's excelled in both um, football and Major League Baseball. Uh, he, he's... If you listen to him, if you listen to the message, uh, put all of the other, um, you know, glamour and glitz aside. The guy knows what he's talking to. He has a way of getting that message into the heads of players. They want to play for him um, because he's done it on that stage. How many um, college football coaches that are coaching have never played the game? Some have never even played college football, let alone professional football. He's excelled at every level. So you think that, again, just because you're a stellar player does not guarantee success as a coach. But listen, there are those that, um, to me, that that have been good players and have, have really, I think, stunk it up as coaches. But I think if Deion Sanders wants to coach at a group of five or a power five institution, he certainly has has earned the right to do so. Uh, I think for him, he if he were going to do so, he's probably going to look for the 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 best fit for him. He's not going to just walk into the first job that he sees uh, just because it looks sexy and attractive to him. I mean, there's a number of things that that he needs to ensure uh, because of the uniqueness of, of of him and the uniqueness of the players that he's going to be bringing into the program. He has to understand and that administration has to understand, you know, where the two sides come together. Um, and they've got to be able to live with this process for as long as he's there. You know, I, I think obviously there are going to be some schools that will kick the tires on him and, and he might do the same thing. I think what he's got to look at is, all right, what do they have there? And I think it starts with what does that line of scrimmage look like on both sides? Do they have some guys? that I can coach up because if I have an offensive line, I can go find a quarterback. If I get a quarterback, I'm going to find a receiver. If I get a receiver, then I'm going to find some defensive guys that know, Hey, look, we got a chance. So it, it really kind of goes, you know, in, in, you know, in increments, but the bottom line is he, he's going to have a chance to have the pick of what I think will be some intriguing programs. And I know one that comes to mind is Georgia tech. Now, playing in his own backyard back in the day, that's interesting. Now, Georgia Tech's requirements to get in, a little bit different than Jackson State. So you got to deal with that element as well. But, you know, it, but it also would be interesting to see how long he stays at Jackson State. Maybe he says, you know what, I don't see anything that really intrigues me right now. I'm going to stay here as long as my kid's still here. Maybe he wants to stay there and watch his kids play. Uh, but the thing is with him, uh, as you mentioned, you take away the glamour and glitz, he getting something done because they win the football games. You know, and that's something we have to take into account. This is just not the prime coach prime show. Mm-hmm. He's winning on Saturdays. Now you may say, well, look who he's playing. Who cares? He's that's winning. the schedule. He's that's yeah, the schedule. Exactly. They don't they exactly. can't you can't help that. That's who they play week in, week out, year in, year out. It's always been that way. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm anxious to see where he goes from here. Um because I think he's been good for the game. Uh, you know, he almost got the kid from East St. Louis. He, he finished second in that recruiting to get the uh, the big offensive tackle who decided to go to Alabama. And Miles, who, Miles McVeigh. Yeah, who, who argues about going to Alabama. But for him to be in that discussion, 
throw in the fact he had the number one defensive back in the country in high school. He had the number two receiver, young man from St. Louis, Kevin Coleman Jr. He has him. He has two of the top three players in the country playing for him at Jackson State. And was, I know the question was asking him, did you ever think about a black college? He said they never recruited him. They never talked to him. You know, and I think there's a lot of guys who might have thought about it. You know, you, you take away the facilities and you say to yourself, you know what, this might be me. I, I'm a classic example. You know, I went to a black college and, and greatest thing that ever happened in my life as far as learning about the game, learning about people, culture, the whole nine yards. Uh, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. But to see Dion take it to another, because I got to tell you, Howard, we haven't seen black colleges get this sort of exposure since Doug Williams is up for the Heisman Trophy. You're right. And listen, Doug Everson and the scores of other players that have played at these institutions. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the NFL team uh, that has, and you may be able to answer this, uh, that of its Hall of Fame players, uh, its Hall of Fame players have come from uh, HBCUs, the majority of them. Uh, and maybe it's the Giants. I, Pittsburgh or the Giants. So I'm thinking of the Giants. Harry Carson is one. Um, and, and I can't think of who the other ones. It may not be Pittsburgh. I don't know if it's the Raiders or Pittsburgh may be a, a good one also. But there is a team out there that of its Hall of Fame players, the majority of them, and, you know, when we say majority, we're talking one, two, two players more than uh, non-HBCUs, but those, the majority of them have come from HBCUs. Here's the other thing with Dion. <clears throat> Two, two factors that must be considered if he's able to go to the next level. Jackson State Athletics, their budget is about $8 four million. million. Okay, $4 yeah, million. Yeah, well, football is $4 million. Okay. So think about that. Now, what can he do if he walks into a program that's got a $50 million budget, $100 million budget? Also, yeah. name, image, and likeness. Not just the players, but how many corporations would want to associate themselves with Deion Sanders? Already so, going on. He's having that take place at Jackson State. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I see where you're going with this, and you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. I mean, this guy's a flavor of the month for a lot of different reasons. And just his attraction alone is something that every school would have to take a look at. Now, I know that in his contract, He's got a, a attendance clause and a few other clauses that kick in, uh, and he'll make all those because he took half his salary. He's only getting paid half his salary because he's trying to make sure his coaches get compensated mm -hmm. as well. And when you look at his coaching staff, Howard, there probably aren't three people on that coaching staff you'd recognize. Uh, there's guy, one. I know one because I played with him, Dennis Thurman. Dennis Thurman. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's still there, though. Well, I know he was there last year. He was so there, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, when you look at some of the other names, you're like, wait a minute, you know, where is this guy coming from? So bottom line is he's developing some coaches that are obviously doing a good job and trying to make sure they get the exposure too. I think it's the best story in the game right now as far as college football because with all the other things that go on on the field and, and these coaches who are making 8 and $10 million to see what he's doing, it's great. And if you're one of these schools that, you know, Poo poos Jackson State. I got news for you. If Jackson State is in one of your top recruits' living room, you better be careful. 
because <laughs> he's there, they're there for a reason. And yeah. as I said, if he almost got Miles McVay, he'll get another good player. And he's already proven that. So you can no longer – these Power Five conferences can no longer poo-poo an HBCU because now that he's proven that you can be successful and help and help us all if he ends up turning out a couple of high-round draft choices. It, uh, then I got no choice. It's game on at that point. Yeah, it's going to happen, um, especially if he's there longer term. And there are indications to me that he will be there longer because I think he feels – that he, he owes this to um, the young man that can't get an opportunity to to shine at a big time program. It's been overlooked. Uh, I think he feels as though he, th- this is what his his calling is, you know, to to shed light on these types of programs and this type of uh, uh, league and these types of institutions. So, I, I it, you know, it, I love the story. Uh, kudos to 60 Minutes for for highlighting him. I'm just excited to see where um, where it goes from here. You know, I, I was thinking about that. You know, when you think about 60 Minutes, I bet 60 Minutes is interviewed a half a dozen coaches, football coaches in its long run. I'm sure Nick Saban's been on there. I believe Mike Leach has been there. And I'm sure there's some other coaches that, that can't. I can't come to mind right now. But I think for Dion to be able to take his program and take himself to that level uh, just says a lot. And I'm anxious to see where it goes from here because it should be a lot of fun to watch that program grow. All right. Before we get out of here, a couple of things about college football this weekend. Uh, not necessarily the knockdown drag out games that we've seen over the past weekend. But I'll tell you a game I'm, a, I'm anxious to see because we don't see them a great deal. This UCLA, Oregon, you know, both teams are ranked. And we don't hear a lot about the Pac-12 anymore, but these two teams have gone fairly well. And now with UCLA with being undefeated and USC getting knocked off, they run the table here until they run into USC. And, you know, Chip Kelly was beginning of the season and people were talking about firing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he's in a position where, you know, he, he wins four or five more games. You know, they're possibly – in the mix for uh, playing in the college football playoff. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's not a given. Um, and I don't really know what that strength of schedule has been uh, for UCLA. I don't know who they played in non-conference, but um, at, at least they're talking about Chip Kelly again uh, in, a, in a more positive light, instead of looking for the next head coach. Um, Oregon, you know, didn't start off the season that well, you know, they got smoked by Georgia. Um, but seemingly they have, you know, bounced back and, and or, or again, there's going to be a lot that happens in college football over the next six weeks. Uh, I don't know that you, you can predict who would have predicted Alabama would have, would have dropped or even lost to Tennessee. Yeah, you, you knew it was going to probably be a good game, be a competitive game. But I think most people probably picked Alabama to, to win the game. I certainly did. Um, and I did. I just felt that it was going to come down to um, uh, Tennessee's defense. But listen, they got it done, and that's the bottom line. So and that's why you play these games. And I think these games are going to be closer and closer because of all the things we've talked about uh, that have. I think parity has brought these teams a lot closer. Again, transfer portal, name, image, and likeness. 
um, or I think directly responsible for, you know, why there's the, the gap is narrowing between more elite teams and the teams below them. Um, Mississippi State, Alabama. Uh, that's another game. That, that's going to be a uh, scuffle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, there's there's another a number of other big games here, but I, this is why it's so much interest. It's so interesting um, this time of, of, of the year watching how the second half of, of college football, if you don't really follow college football, just start from the midway point of the season. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the storylines are going to unfold. Well, that's when the legitimate rankings take place, the middle of the season, yeah. uh, because you've gone through enough now. You kind of know who's good and who's still pretending. But in all, it, it's going to wind up being, as we talked about last week, there's going to be a couple, maybe three legitimate teams that are going to be on the outside looking in when it comes to this bowl playoff situation. And they may want to expedite the fact of expanding the, the playoff picture because these, these are some legitimate programs that have a lot of money. They're in great TV markets. And I think that that's going to have a little bit more to say. So we may have, we're not have to wait until 25 to get this done. They may get it done sooner, but it's going to be fun to watch it down the stretch. Yeah, no doubt. Howard Richards, we thank you, sir, as always. This has been another edition of Huddle Up with Howard. We'll be back next week to talk a little bit more about this past week's games and what to look forward to, especially the NFL as things are starting to heat up. Uh, And Don't forget about those Philadelphia Eagles. And by then, maybe Dak Prescott will be back as well. So for Howard, I'm Mike. We thank you for checking us out. This has been another edition of Huddle Up with Howard on ClavesOnline.com.